This morning's scripture reading is from Revelations 21, verses 1 through 8. And David assured me this is the correct scripture reading this morning. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who, has sealed, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for those words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To whom, to him who is thirsty, I will give to drink, without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the adulterers, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Make one mistake and it stays with you. <laughs> Surveys are taken all the time and <clears throat> they all have a purpose, but they always are somewhat flawed. It depends on who's asking the question, what the question is, and to whom they're asking the question. If I wanted to take a survey this morning, for example, and ask how many here believe that there is a heaven, I believe I would get a fairly positive response to that question. If you'd ask that question to other people, you might get an entirely different response to that. And we live in a world that is diverse. We live in a world that at this particular time, it's seven billion or whatever the number is that we have on the face of this earth. And there would be a wide variety, and there are a wide variety of different opinions as to what is and what shall take place one day. Is there a heaven or not? 
We live in a world where choices are made every day concerning the life that we live. There are choices made every day concerning how one views the, the end of life. And if, if, and if there is anything that lies beyond this life. We live in a world where there are those who believe that life is just a continual cycle of lives being lived one after another in various different forms. Grew up in a home where we didn't eat meat because they might have been our ancestors. So you didn't want to eat your distant grandmother or grandfather by eating the cow or the pig or the chicken. Uh, That's also based on the thought that as you live your life here, and there are those countless millions that live a life with no real concern about the physical life and what they do, because it's just one life. They may improve and they may move on. They may have lived a life here that wasn't worthy and they may go back to being a worm or a caterpillar, I don't know, uh, and then have to relive that life and try to progress up this life and up and down the line goes. How they figure that out, I do not know. But for the most part, there is no real purpose to this life. You don't try to improve it. You do not try to change it. You just exist here. And then prayerfully you can go on to a better life the next time if all goes well. We have those that do not believe in any eternity. They do not believe that there is a God. They do not believe there's anything beyond this physical world. You have one shot in life and that's it. When you're dead, you're like the dog Rover, you're just dead all over Nothing else beyond that. And then, is there an eternity beyond this life? Is there in reality a heaven and a hell? And does what we do in this life have a basis for what shall be eternally? Always hard to look at physical evidence and to come to any conclusion that life is just a series of life, animal form, human form, animal form, human form. No evidence that would give any support to that along that line. There is evidence for there being a creation. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of the earth of God, and the earth shows forth his handiwork. Paul reminds us in Romans 1 and in verse 20 that creation tells you that there is a creator. And so man is without excuse. We deal with the fact that there is a creation. There is a designer. There's no way to look at the physical life, the physical world, the universe in which we exist without seeing that it has been designed. And there has to be a designer for that. 
I've used the illustration before, and this one again that, you know, simply because I have not seen God, that does not mean that God does not exist. I have a watch. I believe it was designed and built by some individual. I've never seen the watchmaker. But I do believe he exists. I have the evidence that there was a designer for this watchmaker. I have a universe that tells me that there is a God. There's no way that this world exists without there being a creator of it. If there is a creator, and there is, what has he created, and for what purpose has he created it? And what is to be the end result? Even those who want to look at a universe and deny that God existed and built it, created it, will acknowledge that it is a physical world and that it is running down and that there will come a time when it will cease to be. They may want to put it out there, I don't know how many billion years, but they do believe the sun is slowly burning up and that one day it will cease to be and so on with the other suns that are out there and on it goes. But who do not want to acknowledge again that there is a creator in this universe? We have been created. For those who want to deny that, we exist. And we are individuals who are able and who do make choices throughout their life. We make thousands of choices every single day that we live. Choose this over that, whatever else it may be. And we choose how to perceive the physical life, and we choose how to perceive the eternal life. Your perception may be wrong. Your conclusion may be wrong. And the results may indeed and will be eternal. So it's important for us to seriously consider these choices that we make as we walk through this life. We understand from physical life. We understand from the Word of God that this physical life that we live had a beginning and it has an end. One day we shall all die. That's a fact. How we choose to see that is our choice. But there are consequences with the choices that we make. That way throughout life, sometimes those consequences are very damaging and very destructive along the way. It happens every day, but I was thinking about it more recently, if you will, with the, well, the, not just the two, but with two accidents that took place fairly recently of an individual driving a Dodge Charger and hitting the city bus hard enough to flip the bus on its side. Saw a picture of the car utterly destroyed. He made a choice. 
consequences of that choice. The individual riding a motorcycle, exiting one of the interstates at a high rate of speed, missed the curb, hit the curbing, lost his life. Life is constantly full of examples of choices that we make. Again, some of them are good and we're grateful for those and some of them are bad. And they can be damaging, they can be destructive, and again, they are eternal when it involves the loss of life, either for the child of God or for one who is not a child of God. John, as he's writing this book of Revelation, he talked about very early, chapter 1 and verse 1, that he has seen signs and that he's recording these signs for us. He's lived his life, and at the present time, it's again how one chooses to view life. He is a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He is a political prisoner that has been, been sent to the island of Patmos, that basically was a prison island, like Devil's Island or Alcatraz, one of those islands that had no other purpose for it than for prisoners. Basically, they worked in salt mines, and they usually had a short lifetime when they were there. But John, as he's on this island, has seen a revelation, as the book draws its name from, of things yet to be. And they're seen in imageries. These are signs, imageries that have been portrayed. And they need to be viewed along that line and to understand that has a little bit to do with this new heaven and this new earth. What is the old heaven and what is the old earth? That's simply the physical life that we live. We live on this earth. We see the heavens, the air above us. We see the heavens, the galaxies that are out there. It's our dwelling place. And there's going to be a new dwelling place. A new heavens and a new earth. But there's also a, another dwelling place that is described. But we want to emphasize the positive, at least in this lesson, this morning. He saw this city this holy city, the new Jerusalem. Again, imagery has been given. There are those who want to see it in a literal sense. There are those who want to see a literal pearly gate. They want to see a literal street of gold. They want to see all the jewels that are mentioned in the book of Revelation in a literal sense. But John is using signs. He's using things that we could associate with to try to catch a glimpse and understanding of something that is far beyond our comprehension. The eternal dwelling place of the creator of the universe. How do we even begin to describe it? What is our perception of it? We see a galaxy that he's created. And he far exceeds that galaxy. Indeed, what must heaven be like? The only way that we could understand it is the fact that it is a city. 
a place where people dwell. It is called the New Jerusalem. For those of John's day, using that term Jerusalem, for John and for others that had a Jewish background would automatically draw to their mind that holy city, Jerusalem. The place where God had caused his name to dwell. A place where the temple was built for the worship of God. A place where the male Jews were required three times a year to make a trip to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices to that one true God. It was a holy city. But by the days of John, the city had been corrupted. The individuals who ought to have been serving God were serving themselves. But again, just the name Jerusalem due to the mind a holy city. And John is saying there is this holy city, this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Again, that imagery that is there, the bride adorned for her husband. had a professor at school who, as he talked about that concept, if you will, he said it, he didn't remember how many weddings that he had performed, but he said, I had never seen an ugly bride. Now, the day before may have been a different story, but at the day of the wedding, the bride was always beautiful as it was 50 years ago for a couple sitting back here. The bride is always beautiful, waiting or coming down to meet the husband. This new Jerusalem, a bride adorned for her husband. The imagery again is one of happiness, it's one of joy, it's one of anticipation, A lot of emotions run with the imagery that John has been given to relate to us what a new heaven must be like. The beauty of it is beyond description. Just reading through the imagery that John uses in these latter chapters of John. Again, it's just to emphasize It is something beyond what we've ever seen here. You could go back to Jerusalem. You could go back to the history of Jerusalem. Go back and consider the wealth of Solomon, the wealth that was in the city. And to say here something that is far greater than that. It is something that is to cause us to anticipate. John has been persecuted. Physically, he's in a place that death had to have the stench all around 
where he was. The world would have a stench of death all around it. It's not designed to last. We need that, that desire of looking forward, that desire of that anticipation, all that goes along with it, that there's something far greater, something far better that is coming our way. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And they shall and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. No man has seen God at any time. And just that anticipation. This tabernacle of God. We strive to deal with it here to a degree and understanding that we are the tabernacle of God, that he dwells in us, that we're his. We have the concept that the church is the body of Christ, that he dwells with his people. But it's hard to grasp that concept of the presence of God dwelling with his people. That we shall be his people and he shall be our God. And how many times have we used verse 4 and following? Trying to, again, there's no way as you read those verses that you cannot think of the physical life in which we live. That it is not drawn to imagery the things that we've gone through, the tears from our eyes, the death, the loss of loved ones, the sorrow, the crying, the pain, all of that part of this physical world in which we're living in at this time makes you want to anticipate this new heaven and this new earth. A time when this can be gone. How many of us at times have not spent all night in tears soaking the pillow over the loss of a loved one, over the trial of the tribulation we see in our loved ones, the hurt, the anguish that we go through either ourself or watching our loved ones go through these pains and these sorrows. Don't you long for that time? Every tear to be wiped away. All that's gone. How God chooses to do that, I have no idea. But I long to see it. Every tear wiped away. No more death. One of the joys of being a part of a large family 
is all that time you have together and all the joys that you have with each other. <clears throat> One of the greatest heartaches of a large family is watching them depart one by one. Seeing them leave this life. And I lost my little sister. I was mentioning I'm not real fond of the month of June. I lost my mother on June the 4th, which was Pat's and mine anniversary. I just lost my little sister on June the 5th this year. I lost my sister just older than me on June the 6th in 2012. Losing loved ones is hard. We all know that. Long for that time. No more death. No more death. No more sorrow or crying. In verse 5, He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Right. For these words are true and faithful. I make it everything new. I know he can. He created a universe by a spoken word. Formed it by just the speaking it into existence. And it has a beauty that is beyond comprehension. And any aspect of it. The farther you look out into the galaxy, the more you see the beauty of God. The closer you look at his creation and the deeper you go with your microscopes and everything else, the beauty you see down there. The handiwork of God is beyond comprehension. We keep thinking we find the smallest element in the far, smallest particle, and then we discuss or find out, no, there's something deeper than that. All of that together, God has created so I know he can make things new again. I create everything new. I'm making it new. And it's going to be for us. He's faithful and he's true to his word. I am the Alpha and the Omega. In case you don't know, that's the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. But he tells you in the next phrase, does he not? The beginning and the end. I'm it from A to Z, as we might say. I'm the totality of everything. And I'm telling you through John, he's saying, I have a place for you in heaven. And if you go back to 2 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, when that end comes and we ascend up to heaven to be with the Lord, and we shall forever be with the Lord. What a glorious, glorious day that will be. That's our hope, that's our desire, that's our ambition, and that indeed is what we're striving for. The one who overcomes shall inherit all these things. The one who is faithful to the end. 
The one who has not lost confidence in God. The one who has not lost trust in God. The one who believes God and takes him at his word. The one who overcomes this world. This shall be his. And he shall be forever with the Lord. Because indeed, I want no part of verse 8. And that's the only alternative to not being with God eternally. The only choice of not being with Him, if I choose not to be faithful unto death, as, he, as John reminds us back in chapter 2 of Revelation and in verse 10, Be thou faithful unto death, and thou shalt receive the crown of life. Choose heaven. You make choices. Make a wise choice. Make the only choice that will give purpose to the life that you live here. Make the choice that will only help you to deal with the life here and to anticipate, indeed, what the life there will be like eternally. Heaven holds all for me. Those are the thoughts of your heart. Heaven holds all. This world is passing away. Heaven holds all. It's where God is. It's where the Savior is. Where the Holy Spirit is. It is where the redeemed of the Lord are. And it's where we should want to be one day. But that's your choice. God gives you time to make that choice. No guarantee on how long you have time to make that choice. So as you look at your heart this morning, as you look at your soul, where is it in the eyes of God? You need to become a child of His through the repentance of your sins that separate you from God, to confess Him as the Lord and the Savior, to obey Him in baptism for the remission or the forgiveness of sins, so that you may be raised to walk a new life. You can do that today. Or as a child of God, have you let the world begin to creep back in? Have you let the things of the world begin to replace the hope and the joy of heaven? If you need to renew that life, we could assist you. We could help you in any way. Indeed, we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.